This is Ravel, a roundtable show about the complexity of faith in the age of information. My name's Josh. I'm Steven. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of American Christianity, and we still keep thinking about how to take it seriously, even as we leave some beliefs behind. We think theology should be an exploratory dialogue, so our hope is that the show will encourage growth, both for individuals and communities. We don't have all the answers, but we're here to sort out as much as we can over a drink or two. Join us as we ravel out our faith in a complex world, pulling on one thread at a time, seeking meaning at the end of it all. Thanks for listening. You guys, welcome to the first episode of Ravel. Steve and Emily, we did it. We're here. We did it. Um, For those of you at home listening, uh, thank you for tuning in, whether you are listening to this first episode, the day it's airing, or you've been listening to us for years, in which case I am so sorry for everything you've had to endure with us together. Um, I'm, I'm so sorry for that really controversial thing that Stephen ended up saying uh, a year in. That was really terrible. Um, yeah. <laughs> so please forgive us. We had Very no idea sad. that was coming. <laughs> a heartbreaking, a heartbreaking departure from my regular <laughs> kind of shtick. You know. <laughs> you know what's you know what's funny? I was trolling my own Twitter the other day because like. What is more self-obsessed than looking through your own Twitter and laughing at yourself? Oh, absolutely. Um, (laughs) I was looking through my own Twitter the other day, and I had a tweet along the lines of, I will never apologize for anything I tweet, (laughs) write in a blog, or say in a podcast. (laughs) And then then my my additional uh, caption was, so one year later, when I make a public apology, you can show me this tweet, and then I'll say something along the lines of, I've grown since then, now hush. I think the now hush part is very crucial to that whole statement. <laughs> it it brings an energy, you know, like <laughs> hush child. Um, I oh, said that. Good. I said that just recently on an Instagram story too. I said, well, like, there's a petition here in Montana, um, that's like asking people to sign to acknowledge the fact that wearing cloth masks is like there's scientific fact documenting that it is just. 100% harmful to the wearer to be like breathing their own CO2 and whatnot. And uh, so I, I took a selfie of myself with a mask at the grocery store with my wife. And, uh, you know, I, I, I laid out some of the details of the petition. And then I just said, like, keep complaining. The rest, like, the adults are working. So hush. <laughs> <sighs> For those of you listening in the future, we're still in year one of mask wearing, so it's still a little choppy back here. You remember those times. Right, absolutely. Yeah, remember when it was just a cloth mask when we had to wear? <laughs> uh, anyway, now it's the full-on uh, well, gas mask. <laughs> We've progressed. <laughs> and already in the first three minutes, we're already talking about masks. <laughs> oh, my word. Uh, anyway, okay. <laughs> Anyway, for everyone who is listening, we are glad you're here. Um, we, we wanted this first episode to be a little bit more introductory. Our guess is that if you're listening to this, you probably know one of us, but you most likely don't know the other two because Emily and I don't even really know each other, honestly. We're really no, only we here for not. the podcast. So, Oh my gosh, right? That's yeah, so true. We keep forgetting about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I guess, I guess real quick how this happened was... Uh, I host another podcast with my wife, Dixie Lee Henning, and it's called No Normal People, where we interview just literally just like people we know in our regular life. Like we're not interviewing other authors or artists because honestly, the internet 
internet has enough of those podcasts. So Josh was our very first guest and we went Represent. for like th- three and a half hours on that. So we cut it into two. And then Emily and I, at the time we were recording this, it was, it was pretty recently did an interview where I got to, got to know her a little bit more and reconnect after like so many years of her being in college and me kind of just doing my own thing after attempting college. But uh, literally like after having that conversation with Emily, we turned off the mics and we were just kind of debriefing after recording No Normal People. And I was like, Emily, would you be interested in podcasting on a regular basis? Because I've been looking for an excuse to podcast with my friend Josh too. And I think the three of us could do some cool stuff. Now, and then mind it just you, happened. I was very flattered because one, I love No Normal People, but also for Steven to ask me at the end of the interview to be like, hey, do you want to do this on a regular basis? I was just like, I'm going to be like them. This is so great. Um, Yes. It's really neat because we all have such different backgrounds. We all have so many different interests. But the one thing that we have been able to collaborate on and to discuss is theology and faith and spirituality. And I think it's really cool that this is all coming together and we're finally doing it. Here we go, guys. We did it. We're right. here. So with that said, if, if anyone who's listening wants to learn more about each of us personally, we all have a No Normal People episode. So you can go there and listen to uh, all the nitty gritty stuff. But primarily, we're going to talk about theology on this podcast. So um, Stephen, let's just start with you. Um, where have you been? Where yeah. have you been spiritually? What, what got you to this point in time? Yeah, this was fun. We've been talking about kind of putting this episode together. We're calling this like our spiritual biography, kind of tracing uh tracing some paths to our current mode of spirituality and and life, you know. So, I guess to give you some context on me, I grew up in church like my entire life. I don't remember I don't have a conscious memory of not uh at least attending church with my parents like you know, being dropped off at the Sunday school room while they go in with the, the adults. Uh, my dad, ever since, again, I've had conscious memory of it. He's always been involved with like worship teams playing on the drums. He's always been involved in the worship team. And I kind of looked up to him as a musician too. Like I play drums because my dad plays drums kind of thing. And like the church for so many years has been the spot for young musicians to like hone their craft and really learn how to evoke emotion and actually like put artistry into their music. So like it was a perfect environment for me to kind of grow up Um, at a very young age. I started getting involved in the worship team as well. I think it was like sixth grade. I started playing at our church for like for the adults. Right. But yeah, very much like a, an evangelical kind of American context for us. We were officially what we called a Bible church. So non-denominational, we weren't connected to any kind of national conference conference or anything. Though I like to say that this church was closeted Baptist in their theology. Like everything was Baptist about their theology, except calling it Baptist. Good label. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So, you know, in this context, like from the fifth grade, I started going to like youth group um, at the middle school level, pretty much from fifth grade on. Like it was a good social touch point for me too, because I grew up homeschooled until ninth grade. So 
being in youth group, like actually introduced me to so many of my friends that I even have today. Like so many lasting relationships came out of our youth group there. Uh, let's see. Growing up, I was part of Awana. Uh, Classic Awana. Yeah. Approved workmen are not ashamed. I think that's in Timothy. Don't, you know, the irony of being in Awana. Wait, it's an acronym? Mm-hmm. It is, yeah, man. Yeah. It's from Timothy. Whoa. One of the Timothys. Anyway. <laughs> Fun so fact. The the ultimate the, the ultimate irony of, of all that was, you know, like I was the Awana All Star that could like I got through Cubbies, Sparkies, and TNT, like finished every book, got every award I could, was part of like Bible quizzes, like the like the memorization kind of sprees, you know? And uh Ironically, I remember absolutely nothing from my verse memorization. <laughs> Isn't that how uh, it always goes? No idea. No idea what it says. To, to this day, people ask me, like, you know where that verse is? I'm like, I, I think it's Old Testament, though. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm not much help if you're, if you're going to ask me to get to a specific spot in the Bible. But, I mean, that's neither here nor there. So... Again, theologically, like closeted Baptist, um, I would also say that there was quite a heavy layer of like Calvinism mapped on top of that classic five point T-U-L-I-P tulips, you know, mm-hmm. and that was just kind of like the way I grew up. Like I was I was taught that this is the way to be a Christian and everyone else is wrong and uh, you probably shouldn't listen to them. At least that's the vibe I got. I don't want to misrepresent any of my like youth pastors or youth leaders. But looking back, that's like the, it's like the, the, the flavor left in my mouth is like, this is the way, the truth and the life and everyone else is doomed. You know, (laughs) those Methodists over there, which that's fun. (laughs) Yes. So we'll get into that, Emily, I'm sure. Uh, Anyway, so yeah, I did start playing music at a young age, uh, got involved in drums first and then discovered a love for singing and learned the acoustic guitar so I could sing in church. I also started getting involved like when I was in high school, I became pretty much like a youth leader for the middle school group. So all the time, like uh, it was probably like three days or nights a week that I was doing something with the church, like rehearsing for youth group uh, worship band or actually doing youth group on Sunday night. And then Wednesday night was small group night, all that kind of stuff. So as I got older in high school, I started, I, I kind of put together a band with some of my friends and we actually started starting, we led worship at different youth groups, like around Yellowstone Valley, like Billings and Laurel and all that. Hmm. And, uh, you know, just like continually involved in really long prayer nights. Like we would sit for like four hours in like a hmm. home theater and just have like these big long prayer nights. And I was always the guy showing up with the guitar, feeling like the rock star, like leading us in worship while everyone else did a lot of the praying work. Uh, after high school, I was invited to preach a couple times at youth camps for this church as well. So I've, I've done my fair share of preaching uh, very much in that, uh, I don't know, like frozen chosen kind of style. <laughs> that's one way wait, to put it. Wait, that's a reference I don't get. Frozen chosen? Frozen Chosen. Okay, so uh, it's like uh, Calvinists who consider themselves the elect, thereby the chosen. Mm-hmm. When they, when it comes to worship and when it comes to uh, preaching style, it's very dry and very like oh. by the book. You know, like hands in pockets while the while the band is playing or while the hymns are being played, and they're just kind of looking around. Versus like a much more 
I don't know, energetic or charismatic expression where people are raising their hands, yeah, yeah. crying, getting on their knees, like getting into it. You know, the frozen chosen gotcha. is, is a, is a cute way of saying like, we're not very engaged when it comes to like emotional worship. Uh, because I think like some of the attitude of Calvinism is very like head based, logic based, like we're into armchair theology and that's all we do. Like yeah. feelings should be ignored and, uh, reason should be trusted when it comes mm. to the Bible. So all that kind of stuff. So after that church, uh, my wife and I, uh, had some weird experiences there more. It was just kind of like, uh, work schedules started conflicting with Sunday mornings. And then six months later we hadn't been to church and we realized that no one at the church had actually asked to see if we were okay. And we were like, okay, kind of seems like we're not just not connecting there anymore. Like very much like our whole youth group that we grew up with they were all moving off to college and stuff and we weren't really interested in being the youth leaders anymore. So we Mm. found another church here in Billings, um, a pretty well-known like mega church, you know, there's the central church and then there's the, the campuses kind of the broadcast, uh, satellite campuses. Um, so we started going to that church and we were there for five years until just very recently. And very much like this kind of broke us out of our prim and proper, uh, worship, um, of our old church and kind of gave us something fresh to engage in. And we got very involved with the worship team at a couple different points. My wife and I were both on staff, Mm. like actually professional Christians in that environment. (laughs) Again, like just kind of taking everything I took from youth group, like the experience of being on the stage, you know, being the guy who could emotively lead people into worship and like get people excited about like engaging with the music. And then I got a new job at the refinery here in Laurel, Montana. And I had the freedom of listening to a ton of podcasts along with that. And, uh, the very first podcast I started listening to because of, you know, I'm like a, a metal fan, metal music fan, hard rock. So this band Emery, like a Christian kind of punk metal band, screamo, something like that. They, started a podcast called bad Christian. And this was the very first podcast I ever started listening to. And that just like kicked off every question I've had about theology and Mm. spirituality in general. And just even how the, the way the world works. Wow. Those guys like had a, had a gift for just like showing me a different experience of than my own, like them growing up in the South, like their view of church was a lot different, but then like Mm. two guys, in the original lineup of the podcast were part of Emory. The other guy was a campus pastor at a church down in South Carolina. So it was like, I also had a common touch point with him. I was like, Oh, I kind of go to a church like that. So I kind of know where you're coming from, but things like so quickly started changing. I'm, I'm, I'm conscious of the fact that I'm, I I'm, I'm still going here. I don't know. Do you guys want me to slow down here or hurry up and finish this up? Well, you know, what's crazy is like, I'm already thinking about, how similar, but also how different our experiences were just between you and me. Okay. Like I was also, I don't want to like get too much into my own stories here since we're talking about you still, but like I was also homeschooled and I also learned how to play music in the church, but like mm. my first podcast wasn't bad Christian. You know what I mean? Like, right. It's oh, so similar, but so different. Sweet. Okay. Well, I'll finish up here. So bad Christian is kind of where it started. And it's, it, if we were going to identify like the one thing that I started kind of re-questioning or, you know, in the, in the language of this podcast, like the one thread I started pulling on that kind of started 
raveling out the, you know, the spiritual sweater I was wearing my entire life was different concepts of afterlife and different concepts of hell. So like the bad Christian guys like were audibly in real time kind of processing the uh, Mm. eternal conscious torment theology that they were handed when they were young. Mm. And that caused a a lot of legitimate anxiety and depression and mental illness in Mm. a couple Mm. of their lives because they were so worried about like, you know, if, if they weren't going to sleep saying the sinner's prayer like 10 times Mm. over to forget, like ask for forgiveness for the sins of that day. Like maybe one of them wouldn't get paid for and they would end up in hell because they made a mistake or something. Mm, And, uh, that is something that I can relate to. Like, I remember being very young, like this was before youth group. This was just like early Awana days and just kind of Sunday school. And that was just the way my brain connected with Mm. what I was being offered as the gospel. Like it was like, you got to pray this. And, uh, like the, what I remember is you pray this every time you remember that you need to repent. It's not a like pray it one and done once saved, always saved kind of thing. It was very, it felt to me like it was something that I constantly had to be going to God for like, Oh my gosh, you know, like I disobeyed my mom today. Would you forgive me? Please don't send me to hell. I mean like, gosh, when you say it like that, it's like, yeah, the, that eternal like <laughs> flaming oven yeah. And a, a and a child is sent there just because they they walked down the candy aisle when her mom or when his mom said not to. So it was kind of deconstructing that theology that led me down a path of so many other things, kind of like concepts of salvation, concepts of mm. um, just things I was I was raised in youth group being taught. Uh, mm. Even when it comes to marriage, let alone the question of LGBTQ affirmation, I had to do some serious work about being a very young married man, because I got married when I was 20, right? So Mm. I had to deal with being a very young married man and realizing that a complementarian marriage wasn't the only way to view a Christian marriage. Like there's Mm. egalitarianism out there that views my wife and I as a partner rather than like the man is the head of the household and she must submit. And like, I don't, there's, there were so many things that I have gotten to work on uh, over the years. One of the things I explicitly remember was in youth group being taught that uh, the, the preacher out of Michigan, Rob Bell was literal antichrist messaging. I remember when love wins came out. I remember our youth leaders, like they pulled up an outline of the book and point by point did what they could to, you know, in YouTube language, like destroy Rob Bell's arguments. Wow. Because mm. this was no way to view the gospel. Like you are, you are cheapening the insanely uh, powerful and unmerited favor of Christ on the cross by saying mm. that it's available to everyone, you know, cause ultimately oh. Christian universalism is like, heaven is a place that we're all invited into at one point or another, whether we, whether it's in this temporal timeline where we, you know, we die and we have, Mm. uh, like a purification process in what we, what we might be called hell or something. Sure. But eventually like the root of that theology is everyone is invited into heaven because Christ's work was big enough to let everyone in and not just the few who prayed the right prayer. 
at and for you right that was pretty like groundbreaking so at the oh time. my gosh so bad christian i was listening to and then i discovered that rob bell had a podcast and literally like i remember feeling waves of anxiety when i clicked play on the first on the first episode because i was like what if what if i'm going to hell for listening to this no legitimately <laughs> and <laughs> and i listened i listened to the first episode <laughs> and i listened to the first episode and i got to the end of it and i'm like that's what we were all worried about what was mm. bad about that like mm. i loved mm. that it's so joyful this guy mm. has a view of what we're doing here with spirituality and with the bible that seems to be so much more inclusive than what we were offered you know man mm-hmm. so rob bell was huge mm. for me interesting kind of getting into that world and since then like I can shorten up my story here a little bit if you guys want to ask a couple questions, but and since then, like I've discovered a string of uh, like a strain of Christianity that would call itself like mystic or mysticism within mm-hmm. Christianity. Finding uh, Friar Richard Rohr has been uh, mm. life changing for me personally. My goodness, listening to him. Uh, uh, this might be useful to mention on the podcast here, but I'm an Enneagram one. So when, hey. so when Richard Rohr, the Enneagram one gets to talking, I'm like, you get me in a way that I feel mm. like not a lot of people do, you know, like that's, that's an experience I can relate to. So, you know, finding uh. myself in kind of a, a mystical strain has been really, uh, really freeing for me. Sure. But every once in a while I get, I get like, extreme waves of anxiety about oh my gosh am i headed down the wrong path like were they Uh, right back in youth group and like will mm -hmm. i actually be like screwed at the end of all this Mm -hmm. i don't know it's pretty Mm -hmm. wild so i'm sure this will come out more in the podcast but i i have had two what i consider like identifiable uh mystical moments in my life pretty mundane if i were to put them into words and i can tell that story at another time but you know, kind of fronting experience. If we're going to talk about the Wesleyan quadrilateral, like experience to me seems like the, the bedrock for the entire thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we have reason. Yeah, we have scripture. Yeah, we have uh, tradition. But like, if, to me, like, of course, we're going to filter everything through experience. So sure. why, why wouldn't a God represent himself to his treasured creation through experiences like that? Right. Mm-hmm. And so I guess to wrap this up real quick, because this is going to uh, leave quite the, the cliffhanger for the rest of the podcast is I'm in this really unique, well, what feels, feels like unique, but I've, I've spent like four years kind of deconstructing theology and kind of trying to put together a house that I'm, I'm comfortable living in and that I mm. am proud to invite Jesus into. But right mm. now, like I'm in the middle of a season where it feels like it's God's turn to deconstruct me. Ooh. Mm. I am, I never before in my life gives up his life will find it. Yeah. Oh (laughs) yes. Thank you. Um, I mean like (laughs) never in my life before this, have I experienced more, uh, like heartache and doubt and fear. And I, I remember like writing in my journal for the first time, like, Oh, I think it's God's time to deconstruct me now. Like I've done all Mm. the work I can do. Mm. Uh, it's time to turn the tables a little bit. And it, it like, Mm kind of in the middle of stuff right now that just feels like the really crappy like 
somewhat boring, but also like heart wrenching middle chapters of the book of Job. Like Mm. we're just in the middle of it right now, you know, gosh. So I'm conscious Mm. of the fact that I've been talking for a while. So I'm going to stop here. (laughs) If you guys have any questions, you can take it away from there. I just want to say, I feel like I just got to know you a whole lot better. Like, I feel like I know you decently well, but especially Mm. as we've been like putting this together, but like that, that was a lot. (laughs) That's, that's, that's kind of crazy. Um, It is a lot. Yeah. (laughs) I feel the, the most forefront question on my mind is where are you at? And you can answer this however you want to, but Mm. where are you at with a church going these days? Mm. What's your opinion? Or Oh what do my you gosh. Drive? I, I told one of my good friends this past weekend, we went to a nice and early breakfast in Laurel at one of my favorite diners. And we, we sat over breakfast with some friends who are very much still in that kind of uh, evangelical world that I've mm. more or less left behind. And uh, those friends left and I was left with this, this one friend who doesn't go to church right now. Um, if he does, he goes to like an ortho, an Orthodox church in Bozeman and he mm-hmm. attends the Vespers, but not as, as a believer per se, but as someone who wants to go through the ritual because he, he sees that valuable and meaningful. Yeah. So like my wife and I, uh, boy, I think it's two or three months now. So like a lot of things changed when COVID changed the world, you know? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. So like we went on lockdown and the church that we were attending, kind of this mega church satellite campus just kind of in our lives, just kind of shriveled up what felt like the really good connections we've had for the last five years. It's like all of a sudden those people weren't interested in us if we weren't going to be engaged uh, as fully as we used to. Cause like we used to be on staff. We used to be uh, leading worship there like three times a week, like very into it. Right. Like going to special meetings with the, with the staff and like doing like vision casting and all this like I just decided to step off the worship stage for good. I like to say I'm a recovering worship leader. You and those <laughs> terms, man, they are so good. So nice. <laughs> I, I decided to step off the stage because, well, one, and I'm sure the, that podcasting as a future career is not helping this in any way, but like I was noticing that my ego was getting a lot too big for the stage and it was becoming a lot uh-huh. more about me than what I was trying to do legitimately through worship music but at the same time like i was singing worship songs coming from popular uh mega church settings and i was singing lyrics that i just wholesale could not back and did not believe and i felt like i was starting to lie to everyone out in the congregation while i was like up on stage one of the few people looking the opposite way you know like i'm like the guy here and uh, I just felt like I was being disingenuous and dishonest with people. Mm-hmm. So I stepped down shortly after that. My wife decided to take a break from being like involved in the staff and all that. And at that point, again, this is this is not necessarily like wholesale the the fault of anyone we were engaged in that church with, because, of course, we know messages, texts, emails, phone calls. They work both ways. And we didn't do a very good job of staying connected either. But all of a sudden, it just felt like the whole thing dried up and shriveled uh, for us mm. and uh wow and we started getting involved with a small group through our dungeons and dragons group um oh, oh, what if what if i'm going to hell for this too <laughs> oh no i'm not worried about that my <laughs> oh you're not worried about that one anymore okay cool no nope, cool, nope. cool. D is i'm i'm so into it 
<laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway, we started getting involved in a, a small group at another more local church here in Billings, but also considered a mega church just in its size and scope and uh, worship experience uh, setting, hmm. which is very much where my wife is, where Dixie is like, that's, that's what she needs. That's like kind of just where she is in her, uh, her process. Mm. So I, I don't, I don't have a problem with that setting. Uh, but we started going to the small group and started getting involved in another church here in Billings. And we just kind of slowly mm. just faded out of our old setting. Uh, huh. but to be perfectly honest, like we, I, I attended church like through that small group two Sundays ago. But before that, it was like, I haven't been to church in like a month or two. And I was telling, okay, long story, because I started at a breakfast with one of my good friends. But I told this friend over breakfast, like, I haven't been to church in like a month or two. And not only have I noticed like a negative or a net negative on my life, like I'm really missing that or something. I actually told him that I, my life feels a, actually better. Mm-hmm. And I don't necessarily, I don't know how to like put my finger on exactly why it might be just because like right now, a lot of things in my head are just kind of through a filter of skepticism and cynicism. Like, you know, that side eye squint kind of thing when you're standing and you know, somebody else is doing the worship leading that you just were doing. And you were like, well, I mean, I can't be into this. So how are you doing this with being honest with yourself? And that's not healthy. I don't want to put my own baggage on other people. But so, yeah, I guess to answer your question, Josh, like where I am with church going is I haven't really been, and I'm kind of okay with it at the moment. Mm -hmm. Cool. I have one quick question. What is something that you have taken from your home church, like where you first started attending? What is something that you have taken back with you even through all of this time? Ooh. Oh, wow. That was a doozy of a question. <laughs> that sure was a doozy. <laughs> well, so I I, I kind of hinted at this, I think, while I was, I was telling more of my story. But honestly, what I've carried with me from that first church context where I was growing up in youth group and whatnot are the majority of my longest lasting friendships and relationships. Mm-hmm. I am in close contact with so many people from that church world still. And mm. it's so cool to be able to like, we moved on to the second church and now we're kind of in between churches now, but like those friendships became something more than just like youth mm. group friends, you know, like I was just recently best man in my best friend's wedding and he and I have been best friends since the seventh grade wow. and we met at youth group, right? We met because of this church. And he was my best man at my wedding. Like there, I mean, like, uh, that pastor from that church was the one that married Dixie and I, and we're still in regular contact with, with so many people back in Laurel and back in that, uh, back from that youth group. Like it's Mm -hmm. the relationship and it's the actual community that came out of it that I've held onto. So little of my existing theology right now has come from that though. Um, which Hmm. is going to make this project inter- interesting, this Ravel podcast, because I've had conversations recently with some of those, with some of those friends. And the vibe I get is like, again, I don't want to put the words in their mouth or like mischaracterize it, but I get the sense that some of them are legitimately worried that I am hmm. a Christian hmm. anymore. Mm-hmm. And 
there's there's a sense of it where it's it's hard for it's like once you see you can't unsee kind of thing sure where i can't and i also can't force you to see it either so like i'm not gonna i'm not interested in the like evangelism game and where my christian life is because honestly i don't think i'm doing my Mm. christian life like as well as i could or like it's not as grounded as as it could be so Mm -hmm. i'm not trying to like convert people to like you know you should be a christian universalist like me and you should affirm lgbtq brothers and sisters and siblings because I mean, because, um, so like, I'm not trying to evangelize that Hmm. because like evangelism has never been a project that interested me for a very Mm -hmm. brief time. Right before I joined public high school, it was mostly just because I was inspired by the whole like, uh, DC talk, Jesus freak thing where I was like, I'm going to go like preach on the park bench with my Bible during lunch at high school. And like first day Hmm. I was like, Oh, I'm not that kid. I I don't do that. (laughs) But yeah, like apologetics, like I I could tell you all the right answers, but I was never interested in engaging in like a debate kind of fashion. Like I've always just been interested in like in the relationship, right? Whether sure. that whether that be preserved through our common theological bedrock or just the fact that we can play and listen to metal music together and we go disc golfing all the time. You know, like hmm. the relationship becomes a lot more than just like church and youth group for me. So I guess, mm-hmm. yeah, that's the answer to your question, Emily was it's like the mm-hmm. community that has like remained with me for this long. And that's important. Yeah. I think that's great, especially because to me, at least it shows that no matter what theologically you believe, no matter what, um, I guess journey you embark on in regards to, you know, deconstructing what you believe, if you have a community that is willing to walk with you, or at least to acknowledge that you are going through this, I think that's really important. Mm. So that's really cool. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's my, that's been my experience. Like, again, some, some will express legitimate worry for me because I listen to Rob Bell now. Um, Mm -hmm. But, but other people are just, are just here for it because they're my friend, you know? Hmm. And I appreciate, I legitimately honor and appreciate both sides of that coin. Like if if I'm told that they're worried about me because I've been listening to things that aren't what we were taught growing up, like capital T truth coming from the Bible. I don't, I don't see that as them looking down on me anymore. I used to, I, my, my reaction used to be, well, like, screw you. Like I know more than you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've done more thinking about this than you, obviously, but my attitude now is legitimately like a heartfelt thank you because the fact that you want to have this conversation with me means that mm-hmm. this is like an expression of love coming from mm-hmm. you, right? I yeah. don't take this as I'm right, you're wrong, Stephen, and you need to wake up or uh, be worried about hell because I'm not mm-hmm. worried about hell anymore, right? Again, the flashes of anxiety come sometimes come back to me, but otherwise, I'm not. Mm-hmm. I'm not worried about hell anymore, like. My, it feels like the, the Jesus I pray to still and the Jesus I love uh, to commune with and sit with every day is so big that uh, he is once and for all just like crush hell and invites everyone to the table. So, mm. Amen. Wowzers. Well, okay. So we were aiming for 20 minutes apiece. <laughs> I've gone for 30 minutes. So it is someone else's turn. Well, I think we should... I think we should pivot to Emily. I, I only know a little bit about Emily's story just from her No Normal People episode. 
and oh, sure. uh, some of some of the other conversations we've had. But Emily, uh, what what got you here? Where have you been? So, I guess first I want to start by saying my background primarily has come from my parents. So my mom grew up Catholic, um, but she considered herself to be a cafeteria Catholic where she would pick and choose Hmm. what she participated in. And she eventually joined the Air Force and met my dad, who was a Methodist. And they got married Hmm. in the Catholic Church, but then eventually um, they wanted to start a family. And my mom sort of felt this very uh, restrictive sort of like condensing feeling coming from the church and she wasn't really into that anymore. So she eventually joined the Methodist church. And so my sister and I were born and that was the only thing I ever knew growing up was to be a Methodist. Uh, Mm -hmm. We learned at an early age that potlucks were essential to our faith development (laughs) and (laughs) that we would participate in the Christmas program and the Easter program. And it, but, the thing of it was, was we weren't forced into it. It wasn't like, you're going to be a Methodist and you're going to like it. It was, we went and attended and we just ended up liking it so much that we continued to mm. go. Um, and I actually, from a really early age, stopped attending the nursery time during the service and I chose to stay and sit with my mom. Um, and people were kind of shocked by that because I was probably in like, I don't know, kindergarten or like even first grade. And they were like, oh, she's sitting like in the pew next to her mother. She's not going off to Sunday school now. Like what's going on? Mm. And people started seeing like, oh, Emily, you're going to be a pastor. And they would be sure to tell my mom this all the time. And, you know, I, I heard that in my ear so often, but I didn't really think anything of it. I just saw myself participating in the life of the church and was just learning, you know, oh, Jesus loves me, this I know, like singing all the songs and going through life's motions. Um, And then I had the opportunity to attend church camp uh, the summer of third grade. No joke, seriously changed my life. I went, it was my first away camp and I was so stoked, uh, but I didn't realize until the week was over just how much that place and those people and the memories that I had created there impacted me spiritually because it was one of the first times that I, for myself, believed and created this idea that I was fearfully and wonderfully made. It wasn't Mm. just something fed to me and I had to take it as it was. I was able to hear those words and to wrestle with that and to say, well, what does that mean for me? Like, cause I'm not like Mm. these other people here. I don't do the same things that these people do. So how is it that this God loves me? And at a really young age to be struggling with that thought, some people are like, oh my goodness, that's terrible. But I look at Mm. it as it's a really beautiful thing because from such a young age, I had the freedom to question what I believed. And my parents and my friends gave me that environment to do so. And it was because of camp and because of that freedom to do so that I really started to get more involved with the church. So I sang in choir. I would volunteer to read. I'd volunteer to pray. I participated in youth group. And then as I got older, I started to get more involved politically and like legislatively in the church. I. Mm 
was voting at our conference levels in like freshman year of high school, my sophomore year of high school, I actually was a representative in Germany for the United Methodist Church. Whoa. Wow. Yeah. Right? Huh. I know. Crazy. Wait, in high school? In high school. Yeah. I was a sophomore in high school. <laughs> uh, and we came together. It was the Global Young People's Convocation of the United Methodist Church. And what this convocation is for is we discuss legislation that is on the table for general conference for the whole entire United Methodist Church. So we as young people had a voice and had a chance to say, yes, we agree with this. No, we don't agree with this. And then what we voted on was going to be placed before general conference. And to say as a sophomore in high school that I was involved globally in my church, I'm 26 years old now and I would have never thought I would have done that. But I did. And it was so cool. I met so many people. I engaged with people who were, you know, on different spectrums of, you know, faith and hearing their stories of, you know, women who were there voting for, you know, women's rights on like, you know, general mutilation. And here are these people who, you know, in the Congo who want to talk about, you know, like misogyny and things like that. It was just like, as a sophomore in high school, I am talking about Mm. these hardcore topics. God is at work. And it felt Mm. so good to say that. So moving forward, clearly I was involved in the church. I went off to college and I was exploring this idea of eventually attending seminary and, you know, life happens and I'm doubting and I'm questioning and I'm kind of going on this, uh, I think of it as almost like a train ride where I'm going in one direction and then I'm going a different route and then I go back to where I started and I'm going to take the scenic route and just kind of explore different things. And eventually I decided, okay, yes, I'll attend seminary. And three years Mm. later, I have mastered divinity. Boom. That's right. That's right. That's right. And so that is, it's so weird because like, Yes, I I attended a master's level. I have higher education, but like, really, we're all theologians. And it kind of makes me mm. laugh that I decided to spend <laughs> so much money to get a piece <laughs> of paper to tell me that anyone could be a theologian. <laughs> oh, wow. I but, love that. That is kind of funny. <laughs> but I acknowledge the importance of my education because now as a pastor serving in this capacity of being set apart like that's what ordained means is i am set apart so being this Mm. median between god's people and god i need to have that higher education um in order to prayerfully discern and to authentically represent god in a way that's wholesome for all people and that's Mm. really tough to say because i'm still struggling with how do i do that and how do i maintain my own understanding of God while not infringing on other people's beliefs. And it's a really fine line. I would say spiritually right now, I have no idea where I'm at. And I'm very (laughs) comfortable to say that. (laughs) Wait, a pastor can have no idea where she's at? Yes. (laughs) In her first month at her first church. (laughs) You're allowed to do that? What? I know. It's, It's funny because... The other day, so I had my first funeral um, just recently Mm. at my church. Mm. 
It was a woman I had never met. She was at home because of COVID. She decided not to attend our in-person services. So I never had the chance to meet her. But as I was participating during this funeral, I was listening to her daughter speak and I gave my eulogy and and I was, you know, going through the service and I was sitting there thinking, I'm like, wow, I am speaking on this woman's behalf in front of all of mm. her friends and family. And I'm talking to them about how much God loves her when I didn't even know her. Mm. And, I, and I'm sitting here and I'm like, that's a gift that I get to participate in every day till the day I retire. And even then I'll probably still do it. And mm. because of this, I've been struggling with. So can can I really love people that I've never met before? Of course I can. Well, wait a second. I'm hearing on the news like all these horrible things that are happening. And like I had a woman address me after church on Sunday. She's like, I know you want us to love our neighbor, but how do I love my neighbor that shot a six-year-old kid? And when you're oh, put on the spot whoa. like that at the door after a service, oh. you don't know where you're at. You, I, I oh, couldn't man. give a witty answer. I couldn't you know, give her a, here, go read your Bible. Uh, all I could say to her was, you know, uh, that's something I'm wrestling with too, but I'm opening myself up to God's grace and I'm opening up myself to see how God is at work in the world. What is God doing in my life? What is God doing to help me open my eyes to learning and to seeing and discerning mm. this crazy, messed up, but beautifully imperfect mm. world that we're living in? Yeah, my first month as a pastor has been pretty intense, but I love wow. it. And I, would, I wouldn't change it for anything. And you want to stack a podcast on top of that? Jeez. I know. <laughs> I don't know if I told you this, but I suffer from a helium hand. It's genetic. What? So I fear for my children. Yeah, it's called yeah, helium I, hand. It's I where, it. you know, my hand just immediately shoots up and I say, yes, I'd oh. love to do this. Yeah. <laughs> Josh thought it was yep. a real diagnosis. <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Emily, forgive me. I know I listened to your no normal people episode, but what was your undergrad? Was it also like philosophy or religion or No. So, I this sounds really bad, but I had decided early on if I was going to attend seminary and I was going to flake out, I wanted to have a career to fall back on. So I decided to pursue a, mass, a major in human services. My emphasis mm. was in gerontology. And so I basically wow. worked in like the geriatrics. And my minor was psychology. And I chose that specifically because I knew I could enter into like a social services route. Mm. I could do a psychology route. Mm. I could work in a hospital. I could work in a school. Mm -hmm. I could work in a nursing home. Um, but now looking forward and where I'm at now, I am so glad that I studied what mm. I did because it's helping me so much in my profession. It's helping me so much in life. Uh, huh. I never thought that it would actually enhance my job as a pastor, but it really has. Um, so yeah, that's what I studied. Mm. Wow. That's fascinating. I like, it, it seems in a way that you're like doing all of those things mm -hmm. <laughs> as yeah, a result. I that's am. so interesting. Huh. Like I'm, I'm working with the elderly. I'm working with those who are in the stages of death and dying. I'm a pastoral counselor, so I'm essentially providing therapy mm. in some spiritual aspect. So I'm definitely using all of those, if not more, um, in the career that I'm in right now. 
I, I was just aware, like listening to your story, hearing about the fact that uh, so the concept of being politically engaged in the global denomination mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. so foreign to me. Uh, again, mm-hmm. because I, yeah. I, I grew up in a place that was unapologetically non-denominational because the, again, the flavor I'm left with this many years later, like the flavor lingering in my mouth was we pull all the authority we need to out of scripture itself in a very mm-hmm. like inerrant view of the book. So we don't need like church structure. We don't need bishops or districts or voting of any sort. So like just hearing that part of the story sounds so wildly foreign to me. Like that, mm. that was happening parallel. I like you and I went to high school together. We were good friends in yeah. high school and like, I had no idea sophomore year that you were doing this. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> so like, um, I don't know. I don't know if I have a question there. I'm just kind of reacting to that because it's, it's such a foreign concept to me that the church can be that organized. And I know we talk about this in No Normal People, like the way Methodists like to create committees and debate things. Oh, yes. And work things over. I guess if I was going to pull a question out of just reacting to the way you grew up, like you grew up so close to me. And yet philosophically, especially when it comes to the church, it feels like you grew up so far away from me. Uh, oh, yeah. I grew up being taught that women couldn't be pastors. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> that they weren't allowed. Uh, do you get a lot of if pushback? If you have a women pastor, you don't have a pastor. That's the phrase I always heard. Right. Yeah, so, yeah always, right. Do you, yeah. do you, Emily, get get any flack for that? I mean, in your own context, Methodism has always, or not always, but Methodism has affirmed female pastors for so long at this point. But like, I don't know, Do you get do you get pushback from... The culture at large or other people you know who grew up in a background more like me? Oh, definitely. Um, in seminary especially, there were a f- quite a few individuals who really frowned at my female classmates who wanted to pursue not a deacon track in the Methodist church. So like not mm. being oriented just in like social justice work, but actually wanted to work at the pulpit. Oh, okay. They looked at us like we were crazy. Like, we didn't know what we were talking about. And then they wanted to refer us to, like, the writings of Paul and be like, you guys should read this over again. And we were like, okay, Mm -hmm. listen here, sir. Uh, (laughs) And there were definitely a few times where even some members of my own home church in Laurel, they thought it was almost a stunt. Like, oh, she wants to be Uh. a pastor as, like, this statement to get attention. Like... And I laugh because now that I'm actually in my role as a pastor and I've gone home to like visit my parents, they're like, wow, you actually did it. I didn't think you were actually going to go through with it. And I was just kind of blown back by that. Um, Mm. One, because Stephen, you know, like if I want something, I go after it. Uh, Yeah. I'm a very determined person. And so for someone to look at me and say, oh, you're just doing this for attention. That's just Mm. absurd to me. Like, how do you say that this call that God has placed on my heart is just a stunt to get people's attention? That just seems so crazy to me. Well, Mm. this actually kind of leads into the question I had is, I feel like I've heard so many pastors talk about like the moment they felt God's call on their life to Mm. be a pastor. Mm Mm-hmm. Do you feel like that was a conscious moment for you or like, can you point to any single instance or like maybe moments of reinforcement? 
for that? Oh, for sure. So I'm going to go back to church camp because that was such a formative place for me, both, you know, spiritually and personally. Um, it was actually the summer of my sixth grade year. Um, so I was going to be in seventh grade. We had a new dean who was overseeing the camp. His name is Brian Hunter. He's the youth leader at Billings First United Methodist Church. And I remember one of the, I think it was like a Tuesday or Wednesday night, we were having a campfire and he was giving his, you know, goodnight spiel and we were all sent away to get ready for bed. But I just sat at the campfire um, and I didn't want to leave. And I remember he Mm. took the time to sit with me and to say, what's going on? And at the time I was wrestling with just trying to make sense of what I believed for myself. Um, And I remember he talked to me and he was like, you know, I didn't want to say anything, but I feel like you would be such a good pastor. And when he said that, I just exploded. I was like, do you know how many times I've heard this story from my mom? And I literally just unleashed on this poor man in the middle of the night around a campfire. (laughs) And the fact that he just sat with me and was like, well, have you talked to God about this? Because no one had ever asked me that. Mm. Everyone was just like, you're going to be a pastor. Mm. You're going to be a pastor. You're going to do this. No one ever once thought to ask me what I thought and whether or not I had brought that up to God. And so for Brian to be like, you need to talk to God, like just ask, ask God, don't be afraid to kind of push back on what God is saying and what these people are saying, like find out for yourself what this call means. And Mm. it was that whole school year. I like tried to go to youth group, but like I was hearing these things and God was whispering in my ear and I finally just decided, I was like, okay, God, like, if this is what you want me to do, I get it. Like, you don't have to keep whispering in my ear Mm. anymore. You can move on to a different subject. Uh, (laughs) And that's when I started taking church a little bit more seriously and not just reading it for face Mm. value, but actually taking the time to understand for myself what this means and what it means to be a pastor. Because initially I was like, oh, I just preach on Sunday and that's all I do. Uh, And that's clearly not all that I do. And so this whole time I've been trying to process what that looks like. So I'm very, very fortunate to have Brian in my life still. Um, He's a great mentor and I still am very much in touch with him. And actually just a couple of weeks ago, I had made sure to thank him because if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't, I literally wouldn't be where I am today because of him. So, yeah. Mm, that speaks to wow. such a the, like the value of real uh engaged like mentorship outside of mm-hmm. just you know just top down I'm going to tell you what God told me about you or something like that like he was right. he was he was willing to sit and just ask you a guiding question and yeah I mean that's that's what I find most compelling about hosting conversations with normal people on my other podcasts is like I am addicted to just asking questions. I so rarely have an answer, but it's so life is so much more interesting when you ask the right question. Right. So like having that kind of mentor mentee relationship where Brian is able to say like, I mean, have you engaged the idea? Like that's Mm -hmm. all you needed. That was like that one push. (laughs) Oh, that's so good. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. 
Well, to pivot a little bit, um, I suppose we should talk about me a little bit, not to be too conversation hoggy, but right. I mean, it's, it's about time, Josh. Here we go. I mean, fine um, if you want to talk. Actually, it's occurring to me, Emily, that you probably don't know most of this. I probably don't. So this is really going to be enlightening for me. Okay, fantastic. Well, <laughs> buckle your pants. Get ready for this. I I feel a lot of similar. Sorry, that was a really weird analogy. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess usually it's buckle your seatbelts. Yeah. <laughs> I do feel a lot of similarity in you two because I, in some sense, don't remember not being a Christian. Mm-hmm. Like I grew up in um, I grew up in the church. My dad has been a pastor since before I was born in the American Baptist denomination. So I just remember going to church all the time. I know I got baptized, but like it was so young. I don't really remember it, to be honest. I mean, high school was uh, church camps and missions trips and volunteering at church camps. And Mm, yeah, my parents would also take us to this conference annually. And it was a very like charismatic, Pentecostally informed conference, even though it was like originally founded through the Baptists, it was like pretty heavy on being like spirit led and uh, like gifts of the spirit. Um, like it would be pretty normal. Uh, but at the same time, it was uh, it was still very Baptist in the sense that it was very preaching focused, but it would be pretty normal to have um, people speaking in, ton- speaking in tongues um, and being slain in the spirit, like after the service, mm, stuff like that. Yeah. But as a result of going to that conference, um, I got connected to this one church in Michigan that decided to start its own ministry school, kind of in the same vein as like uh, Bethel Church in Reading or um, IHOP in Kansas City. They were pretty informed by those groups. So I, after high school, I attended this ministry school out in Michigan for a year. It wasn't seminary. It wasn't anything crazy like that. Uh, it was just like a, <laughs> a one-year, um, like non-accredited, very like personal development, personal faith focused. Mm. But at the same time, we did take some like some seminary level classes because one of our main teachers who is the pastor there is also a doctorate of philosophy who also teaches at seminaries. Wow. Okay. So we were getting this like, we were getting some pretty cheap seminary material. <laughs> right. But I mean like, so Emily uh. is, Emily is a master of divinity. So this would make yeah. you like a, a Padawan of divinity. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's good. I will accept that. Okay. That's funny. That's I'm going to use that. That's a that. new label for I you. I like that. I'm good at naming things, um, you guys. So, oh, I'm, I'm realizing that more. That's that's funny. So yeah, I got my Padawan in divinity in Michigan um, post high school. And then I moved back to Montana to go to college where I ended up majoring in uh, psychology and sociology mm-hmm. as a hey. double major. And for a hot second there, I did start going back to my dad's church again. But I think I think it was only after a year I started attending a different church to um, volunteer there. Uh, very similar to you, Stephen. I also learned how to play the drums in church just because my mom was the worship leader and she was like, hey, our drummer just left. You're going to learn how to play the drums. You're up, kid. Yep. Ooh, and I did. I, I learned how to play the drums and it was, it's kind of cool. I kind of love that. So I went to this, started going to this other church where my buddy had gotten hired on as the, the uh, worship and youth pastor. 
Um, so for the majority of my college experience, I was volunteering at this. Ironically, it was also another Baptist church, but it was a conservative Baptist church, which I don't know all the differences, but it is different from American Baptists. Stephen, it sounds like it was more similar to uh, what you were raised in, like this church did Awana. I learned a little bit later that a lot of their theology was pretty Calvinist. Like I didn't really encounter Calvinism until like my college years. Wow. Which feels kind of backwards from you, which is interesting. Wow. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? And then also in high school, uh, excuse me, college, um, I started doing this project um, where a bunch of us would just meet and like have round table philosophical discussions at breweries. We called it Beerlosophy. Super original yes. name. Steven, yep. you came to one, I believe. Well, just I one, I think. Yeah, and I derailed it too many times into theology that not a lot of people wanted to Yeah, we to just back. ended up talking about theology. <laughs> Emily, it was, it was kind of a running joke at this thing that God never came up at Beerlosophy unless the atheists were there. Like, <laughs> we, we really only, ne we never talked about God, hardly. <laughs> I love it. I wish I could have gone. That would have been I really so wish you could have. Uh, it would have. It really would have. But that was really cool for me, too, because it, it really felt like a, you know, that kind of like third space feel like kind of like the coffee shop has become like a place separate from work and home. Like this kind of felt like that, except it was mm -hmm. also like separate from church. Like for me, I think it really became a sort of like church outside of church. Like I feel like I did a lot of like spiritual and philosophical processing oh yeah yeah within that group like the throughout the multitudes of people that had attended it but i also like in some ways had this like uh like a little bit of an evangelistic bent to it not not super in your face about it but like but more in the sense of like if i can like spark like these kinds of conversations that i like having with people who disagree with me or just like we're grown up to believe different things mm. about the same things that I'm interested in, then I feel like we'll just like come to understand each other better. Mm -hmm. um, Sweet. Cool. And honestly, I think I did a lot more growing throughout that project than I ever expected. Wow. Um, also, concurrently with that in college, I did an undergrad thesis because I double majored in psych and soch. I ended up writing a thesis my senior year on uh, Alcoholics Anonymous and how their spirituality can be understood on a scientific level as functioning as a mechanism for behavior change. Like in the sense that like you can identify that it is their spirituality and B, we can study it even though it is spirituality oh, and wow. we can like understand it scientifically, but even acknowledging that there's like something transcendent about it. You know what I mean? Wow. Oh, yeah. that's so fascinating. This is fun to yeah, hear. Yeah, it was so interesting. I think we touched on this in, on No Normal People. And my question then, and my, still my question now, is essentially there are identifiable synapses, chemical reactions happening in the brain during a spiritual experience. But at the same time, right. it can't be reduced to just that. There seems to be something right. beyond. Well, okay. And that, that idea actually goes back to uh, this guy named William James. He was considered one of the fathers of psychology, and he was a pretty well-known prolific philosopher in his time. He's quoted as saying in one of his essays that even if the religious experience is uh, measured as 
like neurons firing, for instance, that doesn't mean that it is reducible to those neurons. Like just because we can like scientifically measure and observe something doesn't mean that's all it is. Wow. It just means we've like validated its presence as an experience. So I was like working on that my senior year. And I, I felt like that studying that relationship of like religion and science and how we can like better understand it was just so fascinating to me. Mm. Um, and then in the time since, uh, I did spend a little bit more time in Billings. I'm currently in Seattle right now. And honestly, that was an interesting transition because it was kind of this, like at the same time, me realizing that I wanted to move to Seattle. And also, uh, I, and I kind of still don't know how to describe this a year later, but like this feeling of, I shouldn't be at this church anymore. Like, yeah, but not even out of like obligation, but also like, like it's just my time to move on or something like that. I kind of don't really know how to put words to it. It's, it was such an interesting, like wordless experience. But since my time in Seattle, I have had the opportunity to church hop to a couple different uh, worship experiences. And I've, I've found myself gravitating more towards some Episcopal churches, which growing up, I, I have had no experience of my, all of my church experience has been very like American mainstream quote unquote Baptist experience and like none of this like ritual liturgical like liturgical calendar kind of experience and that's honestly been really really fun and really enriching and as someone who's also I I feel like I've gone through a fair amount of uh, like belief transition and migration or unraveling or whatever you want to call it the last couple years and just to like find some grounding in, oh yeah, this is like the tradition and like this is how Christians, this is like the medium through which Christians have interacted with to experience God for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. And like that to me has been really profound. And then COVID hit, as soon as I started like regu- semi-regularly attending this one church, COVID hit. And at first, uh, as someone who grew up in the church, I guess in some ways it was a little relaxing. like. For a long time, my Sunday morning experience has been volunteering and going to church, sort of because I wanted to, but also like out of obligation because I was involved in church. So for a hot second, like when COVID hit and I could just like watch any church service I wanted to anywhere, that felt pretty freeing. But honestly, the more that went on, and currently still no churches in Seattle are open and won't be for a while. Yeah. But honestly, like this whole situation has, totally reinforced like my desire for a church community which is really interesting like i kind of didn't expect it to to happen that way wow would you talk a little bit more about that because i am so intrigued by the fact that covid hit here in my context Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. my reaction was wow my life seems a little better without church right now whereas you you were actually desiring it well and i think that that i think i had more of that mindset when i first moved out here because I was coming off of the tail end of regularly volunteering in youth ministry and worship ministry um, for like the last uh, five years, somewhere around there. Mm -hmm. And so then like moving out to a city that I was familiar with, but like didn't have a ton of connections at, at first felt really freeing and like I could just focus on living here and my work and I didn't have to worry about like making the time for volunteering yeah, I don't, I don't, I still kind of don't really know how to explain it. It's just like the longer 
I am not plugged into a regular church community, I guess I've just realized how valuable it's been for me in the past. Well, and also with that, uh, that Calvinist church that I recently left a year ago, it was kind of funny because when I, come, when I came back from ministry school, I kind of had this like philosophy still that they ingrained in us there of like, we're going to like teach you these things and like you can go back to your communities and like influence your communities. Like that's what this is about. Like learning to like impact the people around you. Mm. And I, I just remember being so stoked on that and like partly wanting to go to this church to like see it become more charismatic in a lot of ways. And then as like some of those, as I myself drifted away from some of those emphases, I like wanted, I started to become more emphatic on like wanting to see that church changed in other ways. Like whether it was experiencing the diversity of the Christian spectrum and like learning how to better recognize that there's like other voices and other Christians out there that don't think the exact same way we do. And we need to acknowledge that or um, whether it was like being inspired by giving youth group kids like a bigger worldview understanding of like what it means to be a Christian in the modern world. Mm. And that like, even when you encounter like different beliefs that like, that doesn't mean everything you were taught is invalidated because like, I've totally experienced that too. Right. Like I feel like that's just a thing that happens when you grow up. Like you just start experiencing um, people from different backgrounds and people, you meet people that you were previously taught weren't fully Christian. <laughs> Yeah. Like me, Steve. Yeah. Like, like Emily. <laughs> <laughs> I'm never going to live that down. Um, yeah. I mean, I chose to put it in episode one, so I guess I am you asking did, for yeah. it. But... <laughs> wow. Josh, yeah. I wanted to ask. Well, okay. So to, to wrap up that original question, it was like, it sounds like what you desire there in Seattle that you can't get right now because of COVID lockdown is essentially the community you've experienced in all your different contexts, whether you were in Billings first or you moved to Michigan and uh, get a, get to be a part mm-hmm. of this ministry school, it's like being engaged in some sort of spiritual church community has always been the way you connect with people, at least when you first arrive, right? So, Totally, totally. So it, it sounds like you're just missing that because, I don't want to say just missing that, but it sounds like you're missing that, especially in sure. Seattle because- that's that's a good way for Josh to meet people that are like him and that get to mm-hmm. totally join totally. your community and your circle, right? Well, I think that I'm also I, I I would agree with you, but I think that I'm also I think I also find inspiration in like church to function as a way to meet people who don't completely agree with you. Like I mm-hmm. feel I feel my faith stretched in some ways by attending episcopal services, not just like in the difference of faith expression, but just like seeing different emphases and being like, wow, I've like, I've not thought about these things in terms of these things being part of our worship. Yeah. Yeah. Or like Mm -hmm. what it means to have a church service that's not sermon centric, but is communion centric. Like I've never thought about that before. Now you're, now you're speaking my language. So it's like, I don't know. I feel like I've, I've listened to a lot of podcasts and I've, I've met a lot of people. I think that, and I, I don't want to like point fingers or anything, but it seems like there's a lot of people out there who, as soon as they encounter something that is counter to the beliefs that they were told, uh, it, everything just like immediately unravels mm-hmm. and they just like let it all fall apart. And I think a lot of people and a lot of people for good reasons to become really critical of the church and the power structures within it. And 
I, I think I feel really inspired by the idea of changing it from with, within. Like, I think that those are the only people who can effectively change it. Like, I've, I was thinking about that when you were talking, Emily, about like being involved in like international conferences and like talking to people all around the world who are like a part of the same denomination and like noticing that God is working in areas and like we need to join God's work in these areas. And I feel like that true change only happens from within as good as criticism is. And sometimes mm. we do need an outside perspective, mm, but yeah. it's been, it's been discouraging to me sometimes to hear people who instead of like embracing their faith transition to like, help bring other people along to like see the things that they're seeing and questioning they instead just like disregard people and uh i don't know i i still don't really know how to put words to it but i'm not inspired by that as much as changing the church from within <laughs> i love it yeah because it's there, there's something to be said about i don't know the concept of like staying where you were planted and doing your work from there yeah yeah rather than just becoming like the 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 screaming prophet out in the middle of the desert like you should have fixed mm. it i could have fixed mm-hmm. it but now yeah i to yeah i can totally relate to that like i'm not again this is this is actually kind of what i was saying like i'm not interested in like mm. kicking other people over the deconstruction cliff now that mm. i've mm-hmm. seen and tasted what i've seen and tasted you know i'm not in, interested in like causing a faith crisis or mm-hmm. faith crisis mm-hmm. in anyone yeah yeah uh, for the sake of being like I think I'm smarter than you because I think this about this. Um, mm. Josh, I wanted to ask you, so you've you've made quite a spin, an about face, as it were, between charismaticism and heading to an Episcopal setting where liturgy mm. is the emphasis. Mm-hmm. Have you ever spoken in tongues? Mm. Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> I I guess I would say yes, yeah. Probably yeah. Okay. Now, may I ask is this the the speaking in tongues where uh, okay, so like there's two brands of speaking in tongues that I grew up being taught were both false uh because yeah. Calvinists don't like gifts of the spirit at all. Oh, that's a good point. Um, yeah, yeah. But are are all Calvinists cessationist? Like they don't believe in the gifts of the spirit or is that just a tendency? I don't remember. I think it's a tendency. I don't think it's like if you're a Calvinist, you're a secessionist, but sure. it's right, it's a pretty yeah. strong correlation, right? Anyway, okay, so there's okay. there's two brands of speaking in tongues that I'm familiar with. One is actually speaking a human language to someone who only speaks that oh, other language yeah. and you don't realize you're speaking. So like if Josh goes to Paris and starts speaking with a Parisian in French without realizing he's speaking French... I've heard this mm-hmm. experience from people who have experienced praying or speaking in tongues. Now, on the other other side of things, I've also heard of what's called praying in tongues, which is like a kind of weird interpretation of a Pauline passage where he says something about praying in tongues of angels. Mm-hmm. Right. Wh- which this is more what people would call like a heavenly language where it's it's a special it's a special channel you can log into to speak with God directly. And not have to be bogged down with like human language and English grammar or whatever. Is that what you've done, or have you done the the human language side of things? Yes, that that's what I'm more familiar with. Like the like praying of in tongues, people emphasizing. Yeah, okay. yeah. But it was all I I also remember being taught is like it should be a private thing. Mm-hmm. Like now, 
still kind of bouncing off of that yes. passage in Paul where he's like talking about interpreters and yeah, like don't cause a scene, but yeah. like, you can do it. I, see, right. so I can appreciate that. When Dixie and I were in college, she started going to a church that was way more charismatic and like they would just like scream in mm. tongues during worship songs uh, just because that was their thing. And I attended church there once and I was so wigged out, man. It Oh, it was the freakiest. Uh, <laughs> it was no. so scary to me. Um, But like at the same time, again, the attitude I have now is like, man, if that's what you're into, who am I to stand in your way mm. of like a legitimate right. spiritual connection that you feel like you're having? I am not going to do anything mm-hmm. to like try and debunk that, even though right. I feel like I probably could. I won't. Well, and I'm kind of of the same mindset now because like as much as I don't feel a charismatic emphasis in my spiritual life currently, I still don't want to put God in a box. Like I kind of don't want to discount the fact that like maybe God does do that. Right. Yes. And he's just not doing it for me. I don't know. Like I don't, I still kind of don't know how to make sense of it. Like I would say I've had some crazier experiences than speaking in tongues and maybe we can get into those another time, but like I still kind of don't know how to make sense of those. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That sounds like it should be its own episode because I, I kind of already hinted at the fact that I've had a couple <laughs> mystical experiences myself. So that would that would be interesting to get into. Uh, you guys are making me think yeah. of. So I I'm a big fan of Pastor Brian Zond. He's on oh, Twitter. Yeah, yeah. Josh, mm-hmm. this is how you and I in- initially connected was I saw you with Zond's book under your arm at a coffee shop here in Billings. And I was like, oh, we're he's cool. <laughs> like just by the cover of the book, I was like, oh, yeah. I, I know a little met. bit about Josh. <laughs> he talks about the church being an ecumenical body or like the body of Christ as a seven pointed menorah. So he chooses to uh-huh. allow the church, you know, what, what we might've grown up calling like the capital C church. He chooses to call the body of Christ like a seven pointed menorah. So mm. with all the different like unique points of light on the candle stand and yet they're all united by one piece of metal. We have Roman Catholicism, Anglican communion, Eastern Orthodox, Anabaptist, Protestant, evangelical and charismatic Pentecostal. And what I love about that inclusive definition of like an ecumenical church is that like, we all have something to bring to the table here and we all are Mm -hmm. uh, able to tap into something different um, Mm -hmm. that just brings Mm -hmm. more flavor and brings more intrigue to the body of Christ. Like it would be really boring if the church was just Calvinists. It yeah. it would also look absolutely buck wild if the church was only Pentecostal, you know, like we all, yeah. we all bring mm-hmm. new expressions and different ways to attract, I guess in this language, mm-hmm. like attract the world to what the, the real church is doing. Not just like the church as a political body. I mean, that's a whole, like mm-hmm. once the church gets married right. to like political parties, uh, for a certain country and whatnot. But I don't know. Like, I I like that. I really like that analogy. I feel like that's been really true of my experience too, because even thinking back to ministry school and um, thinking about like the emphases that we had there in terms of like spiritual gifts Mm. and like listening for God's voice and how I've, I feel like I've strayed away from those emphases in a lot of ways. Like I feel like God totally used that time to teach me things that I don't think I would have learned any other place. In the same way, and I don't know what you said, Stephen, that made me think of this. My dad's church um, in Montana for a long time has been associated with some like post-prison organizations that like help like reintroduce mm. men getting out of prison back into like normal society. Yeah. 
So it would be really normal for like a bunch of ex-cons to be at church. Mm-hmm. And Ooh. man, I tell you what, like I, some of them like went there long term and I think that they had a different view of redemption than I ever heard from anyone else. You know what I mean? Oh man, of course mm-hmm. they did. Like, right. I feel like that. And yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like, I think that that, I think that that analogy really helps us recognize that like, as much as I don't like some points of Calvinism, like I also can't completely discount it because like I have to recognize that they are also Christians and mm, yeah. they probably have things to teach me about God that I won't learn anywhere else either. Yeah. Right. Well, and, if and you that's kind of about... challenging, honestly. <laughs> and if you think about like breaking that down even further, like even just the concept of Imago Dei, so like being made in God's image, do you really think God would mm. create us all so uniquely and individually just to follow one specific path? Mm. Ooh, Pastor Emily sure. in the house. Yes. Just oh, saying, like, we need to we need to understand like uh, that like religion as an institution was created by humans, not by God. Yeah. Yes. And so hmm. for us to for us to look at these different lenses and for us to look at these different denominations and these different religions, even for that matter, like that those are human constructs that we over time throughout history have built to shape who we are as nations as peoples and even further as to be called god's people like we see this mm. in the the palestinian israeli conflict like who are god's people this is the holy mm. land you know so it's like these are human elements that are being attributed mm. to to our journeys our faith journeys um i really like that analogy steven i think it's perfect i think it's it's a way to have that freedom again to kind of Take in things like what is life giving for you? Like what are the things that are feeding you spiritually and not inhibiting you to grow? I love it. Mm-hmm. But also the sociologist in me who took a class on cults in college mm-hmm. can totally see how someone could use that in a really bad way. Like, yeah. Oh, absolutely. We're just like just use it to their own advantage and for their own gain. But overall, I do like the analogy. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, we're going to have to do an episode on cults then, since you've done some reading, my yes. friend. Yeah, I think we must, yeah. Gosh, I mean... You guys, I feel like we're just opening up the rabbit hole. Like, we're, we went way over the time that we thought we were going to, and I feel like we're just getting started. I know. I mean, that was the kind of the point here, and we're kind of arriving at why we wanted this podcast, is because we are coming from such yeah. wildly different backgrounds, uh, now that we've gotten some, you know, biographical information and asked each other questions, like... Man, there are so many places that just this, com- if we listen back to this conversation, I bet we could identify 20 more episodes to come just by like small phrases we've dropped. Oh, totally. Oh, yeah. So. Oh, yeah. Well, just from Steven's part alone. Uh, and, th- yeah. and this is exactly, <laughs> this is exactly what we tend to do. We're just going to pull on one thread at a time. Every episode, we're going to come in with just kind of one idea and just see where it leads yeah. us in that whole tapestry that has either been handed to us or that we've been weaving ourselves you know Ooh. Ooh. well like what you said earlier about like the the spiritual sweater that you were handed down i thought that was kind of a cool analogy for raveling i guess maybe we should mention this since it's the first episode like the word let's do it have we mentioned Uh, it i don't think so no we haven't (laughs) if anyone really wants to learn more about this you can google this philosopher his name is pete rollins and he has some lectures on the idea of raveling but basically the word ravel means exactly the same thing as the word unravel. Mm-hmm. It's an it's like an unnecessary negative, like regardless and irregardless. Like irregardless really isn't a word. True. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the same with 
unravel. Ravel already means to unwind. Yeah. Even though it sounds like the opposite. Yeah. And so, Stephen, I really liked your uh, your analogy earlier of like the spiritual sweater and like pulling on the the loose threads of the sweater to see what it's made oh, of. Oh, thank you. I, I think love that that's it. really fitting. Thinking in analogies is so fun. Like back in your No Normal People episode, Josh, we talk about being handed like grandma's box of cookie recipes. And oh, that's yeah. how our beliefs are. Like mm-hmm. we can bake the cookies mm-hmm. this way, but what if we introduce a little bit of like a dash of lemon zest or something just to add a little mm-hmm. flavor? Like let's tweak the recipe a little bit. Like there are so many ways. Well, and I also love like the, I love the culinary emphasis on that too. Cause Emily, I also grew up in a very, um, a church that emphasized the doctrine of, uh, potlucks and casseroles. The doctrine. And- Amen. <laughs> Amen. Amen, brother. It is That's essential, so Stephen. So it is true. essential. No, I'm totally with you guys. The fried chicken, the homemade, like the four different recipes of potato salad. Yeah, Absolutely. Oh, see, yeah, he the gets meat, it. Jello, everything. <laughs> I feel like that's a pretty Montana everything. thing to you guys. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> uh, uh, man, very good. But so, like, I man, like the word. You guys, this was only the first episode. I know, right? This I is know. great. Episode one. What? Wow. I like the word ravel because, uh, again, we're taking off that unnecessary negative, and it feels more constructive yeah. this way. Like we're raveling something out. Uh, yeah. Means like we're spreading it out. We're actually taking a look at it, but at the same time, we're not throwing away mm. the material, right? Like you unravel a sweater, mm-hmm. you're left with a ball of yarn. Mm. You still have the yarn. You're not just like You know what it makes it me up. think of actually? It makes me think of the human genome project yeah. and how like that was the first time they decoded and like literally raveled out the DNA to look That's at it. That's so cool. Oh my. That's really interesting. I hadn't thought about that I before. I am into that image. I'm excited mm. about it. <laughs> because we also didn't want to just be another podcast that used the word deconstruction in the title just to be the buzzword. Because like right. we're not into deconstruction. We're not just into pulling this apart. We're actually into finding something right. at the bottom of it all that we can actually hold on to and like be excited about and actually connect with. You know what's funny is that this concept really relates to like one of the key things I know that I've consciously taken from charismaticism is like the idea of like eating the meat and spitting out the bones. Oh yeah. And like they, they would like anytime, like we would talk about like prophecy and prophetic words, like they would really emphasize like whenever you give one or like whenever you receive one, like really discern it and like really pray about it. And like, if it doesn't stick, get rid of it. Like if you don't think it's God, like if you don't get confirmation, then like it probably wasn't God. Wow. And I, f- I feel like that, that like eat the meat and spit out the bones concept has really stuck with me. Man. Well, also, fun fact about Ravel. So the last two letters, E-L, um, that's part of one of the many names for God, like El Shaddai, Elohim, Elohim, Yahweh, like E-L is one of the many names for God. And I think it's fitting that we are having God's name in the title as we are trying to kind of take apart thread by thread, what we believe, what we think, and like God is still a part of it. Like God is witnessing mm-hmm. this process with us mm. and not shying away from that. You know, I think it's really cool that we're wow, yeah. engaging in something so deep and yet so simple at the same time. And like God is going to be a part mm-hmm. of it in whatever way, shape or form it takes, whatever dialogue we have, like it doesn't matter. It's hmm. it's just going to be so cool to see how this goes. I like the way you say that too. Like you remind me back when you were doing a lot of talking, Emily, you kind of brought up this idea of 
you know, when Brian asked you like, well, have you talked to God about your calling as a pastor instead of just accept it? The, the image I got was that somebody gave you permission as a future pastor and Uh just like a daughter of Christ to be like a collaborator with God Mm -hmm. in that moment, instead of a top down dictatorial, Mm. like God tells you this, uh, he tells you this through like a trusted voice in the church. No, instead, like you actually Mm -hmm. are, we're, we're being invited to collaborate in some way with the unfolding of a beautiful creation. Right. We're technically conspiring. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you know that, uh, but if you break down the word conspire, it actually means to co-inspire. What? (gasps) What? Yeah, like the I eventually goes away, but to conspire, to like conspiracy is to co-inspire. And so that's what we're doing in this space. Wow. Like we're a conspiracy. Wow. Okay. Well, that feels like a good final word right there. Wow. Okay. What do you guys want to do to sign I, off here? Wow, I like that. Uh, should we like yeah. I don't know, plug social media, something like that? Oh yeah, yeah. If you're not following us on social media, we're on Instagram and Twitter at RavelPod. On Facebook, you can just look up the Ravel Podcast. I think. Yeah. Or the or the web address is Facebook.com/slash/theRavelPod. Mm-hmm. Somebody already had RavelPod oh, yeah. somehow, so it's we add the the. Uh, also, if you want to get people. in touch with us, you can email us at the show at theravelpod at gmail.com oh yeah send us things yeah yeah slide in those dms send us your your thoughts your questions your critiques how much yeah. we suck <laughs> right uh let's see we'll take it all how much you don't agree with us we'll talk all about us it. hosts are present on twitter that's kind of where we're going to focus our energies for this show so you can follow me at Stephen g henning that's Stephen with a ph you'll see it in the show notes and stuff too you can follow me Emily Reddinghouse at Rev Reddinghouse. That's R E V, and then my last name R E T T I N G H O U S E. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Josh Llewellyn, and I'm not going to spell it. It'll just be in the show notes because you won't remember it. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's quite the last name, Josh. I've had to I've had to do a lot of work to make sure I pronounce it right and spell it right. So, <laughs> oh, let's see. Thank you to Louis Zong for the use of his song In Full Color off his album Here. You can find all his fantastic work on Bandcamp and Spotify. So mm-hmm. many good instrumental jams there. So many records, by the way. We're not even sponsored by no. him. He just makes fantastic yeah. music. Oh, yeah. Find him on Spotify. You could also find him on Twitter if you want to. He's Everyday Louis. Gosh. How's that feel like for episode one, you guys? I think that feels great. It feels so Thanks for good. listening, you guys. Thanks for talking. This was wonderful. This is great. Absolutely. I guess we don't really have a sign-off or a benediction planned, do we? Um, no, we don't. I mean, I am a pastor, so... Oh, yeah, you oh, are Oh, yes. Sign us out of here, Pastor Reverend Emily. As you go out into the world, may you continue to pull on each thread and know that God is there. We are here to unravel together and to co-inspire. Well, that's it. Oh, amen to that. <laughs> <laughs>